0: today we start a brand new series called for the life of the world for the life of the world and we're going to examine uh, one key question and it's this what exactly is your salvation actually for what is your salvation actually for Uh, Sometimes you maybe heard it it, hear it said this way that um, maybe another way even to rephrase this is what does it look like to live then uh, in the world but not of the world Have you ever heard that phrase? Where is it in the Bible? Do you know? It's not. That specific phrase actually isn't in Scripture. It's, the truth of it is, but that exact phrase doesn't actually show up in Scripture. It comes from, the, the idea comes from some things Jesus shared in John chapter 15 and 17. In 15, he says, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. See, you started life of the world, Jesus says, but he chose you, if you're a Christian, out of the world. He's pulled you out of it. And and he's praying for you and for me and his disciples in John 17. He says, I've given them your word, Father, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just like I am not of the world. Then you would think, well, he's probably going to pray then that we can just get out of this place, right? Wouldn't you assume that? No, look what he says in verse 15. He says, I don't ask, though, that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. There's a plan that Jesus is working here where he rescues us and makes us different from the world when you've become a Christian. But for, for some reason, he decides, I'm not going to pull you out of the world. You're still going to be in it, but you're not no longer of it that's where that phrase comes from, is from these words of Jesus in, in John. And we're going to explore what that looks like because a, a lot of times I think there's, there's a lot of people who uh, they've heard that phrase and they think they know what it means, but they really don't know what it means. They really don't know what it means to be in the world but not of it. And because of that, you, you end up with um, uh, some doctrines and some teachings that are just goofy. And uh, then you see examples of Christians Uh, portrayed in media and on TV and whatever else that are just weird. Not weird in a good way, like they're honoring Jesus, but weird just in a weird way. Like, just weird. And it's because of a a, a misunderstanding of what this actually means, to be in the world, but not of it. And so we're gonna look at it in a number of realms. Uh, Today we're gonna talk, we're gonna kind of set up the whole series talking about what it means to live then in exile in this world, but not of it. But then we're gonna talk about love, and God's economy of love and of family, and creative service, your work, and of order and wisdom and wonder, and finally here in the church. And and the whole idea here is how do you relate uh, your Christian life, what is your salvation for in the home, in your workplace, in the church? Where where do you connect those dots between Sunday morning and what maybe you know to be true to living it out truly in the world? Because that's what we're called to do is to live as God's people, a people that are in exile. Um, Well, today sets all this up. And one of the things we're doing with this is in our kids' ministry, they're going to be studying a similar curriculum as well. And uh, we actually have for all of our 110 groups videos that we're going to use, a video series. And that's where we got the title of the message series is for the life of the world. So if you're a 110 leader, you've already gotten a DVD, uh, hopefully, and a letter from Pastor Kirk a couple times uh, with info and the video. And there's a video to play every week. Uh, starting this week in your 110 group. So if you only meet every other week, you can play two of them together. But it's really well done. Christianity Today, actually, when they reviewed this film, um, you're gonna see it in seven parts, but they reviewed it and said, uh, it's, about, it's about a year and a half old. It's the, the best treatment of faith and culture ever put on film. It's really well done. And uh, uh, it, it's put, put out by the Acton Institute in, uh, in Grand Rapids, Michigan. All right, there's a long intro. You ready to get down to it? All right, well, let me pray, and then we'll dive in. Let me pray. Uh, Father, thanks for Jesus. Thank you uh, for your grace to us, for your goodness to us. Lord, uh, Jesus, that you've taken us and you've called us out of the world, uh, that you have rescued and are rescuing and will rescue us from this place. We praise you for that. But in the meantime, Jesus, you've chosen in your wisdom to leave us here. And to live a life in exile, and I believe that's because you, you love your creation, you love the world, and you've left a remnant here for the life of your creation. Help us to understand what that means to be in the world but not of it, uh, to really live out what our salvation's for. I pray you'd open my eyes even to that more and more over the coming weeks. Uh, but for us as a church, uh, let, that, uh, let that sink in in a deep way, that, that we might be your witnesses here in in a powerful, powerful way, that you'd do something out here in the cornfields that uh, people would look out and see what in the world's going on there. That's something only Jesus could have done. But it'd be because we were following you and living the lives that you call us to live. So I I pray against the enemy, his servants, their works and effects. Um, Lord Jesus, he would lie to us and accuse us and tempt us. And instead, Holy Spirit, would you change us? Make us more like Jesus. Help me to teach well today, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I mentioned that, that we're to live lives of exile, but do you know what it means to be an exile, to be somebody who's in exile? You've heard that term, right? Do you, do you got a definition for it? I, I put one on your insert this morning. An exile, according to the dictionary, is a person who lives away from their native country, either from choice or compulsion. Somebody who lives outside of their native land, a stranger in a strange land, maybe you 've heard that phrase. And the closest I can get to this is I know when, when I moved here 15 years ago this spring, which is hard to believe, when I moved here, uh, I went to Moody Bible, went to Iowa State and studied architecture, I went to Moody Bible Institute, graduated, went home, worked for a while, and then ended up moving out here. And uh, all I can tell you is that's the closest thing I've ever experienced to living in exile. Now, don't you hear me out? I'm not trying to bash anybody here. I'm just saying, th- think of it from my perspective. I was young. I-, I was unmarried. I moved to a place where I knew no one. I knew no one other than via a phone, couple phone calls. And I moved here, and I lived uh, in a little house that I rented for a little while over on Dewart Lake for a couple weeks, about two, two to three months, and then moved into town, into Milford in this apartment. And, and I was a stranger in a strange land. And there were some similarities between where I grew up and a small town, but there were a lot of differences too. You know, I, I had no idea what a Hoosier is. I still don't, other than someone from Indiana. <laughs> I grew up in Iowa, which I, there's a lot of things you could, you could come right back at me with stuff about Iowa, right? But, but it, was, it, was, it was different. I mean, I moved out here, I was, I was alone. I knew no one. Um, our church at the time was much, much smaller, about a third as big as it is now. Uh, there was very few people my age in the church at that time, a handful, but not many. It was just, I was I was a stranger in a strange land. I didn't know anybody at the school. I didn't know anybody in town. I didn't know uh, the, clo- the best route to go buy groceries. I'd, I was still learning to cook, for that matter, right? I mean... That's the closest. Have you, have you ever experienced that where maybe you've kind of been a person who's in exile, where you're a stranger in a strange land? You're, you're not in your native place anymore. I see Kirk and Annette nodding when they went to Norway. Uh, many others of you have had that experience. Maybe it's not even just in terms of uh, where you moved to geographically, maybe it's a job. Have you, have you ever had to change jobs, and you end up in this new place, and now, in a sense, you're kind of an exile in that new place. And you're figuring out, what does it mean to live here, and in this culture, and among these people? And Well, that's the definition of an exile. It's, it's a person who lives away from their native country. And, and what I would commend to you is today is that our salvation is a call to live as exiles who bless the world. You're called to live as an exile. And uh, there, there's no greater illustration of this than in Jeremiah chapter 29. So if you've got your Bible, open up with me to Jeremiah chapter 29. Um, it will be uh, to the right of middle, about probably three-quarters of the way through your Bible, if you're unfamiliar with, with Scripture. Um, but we're going to be in chapter 29 uh, verses 1 through 14. And let me set up a little bit. Let me read verse 1, and then I'll set up a little bit what's happening here so you kind of get, get the picture. Uh, verse, 29, verse Chapter 29, verse 1, it says, These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles, and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people who Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. So Jeremiah is writing to a group of people who are in exile, a group of God's people who have been taken away, we read here, right? Do you see that? Nebuchadnezzar has come in from Babylon. He's taken a bunch of God's people into exile. But why? Okay, I get that, but why? What happened? Well, I'll give you the Cliff Notes version, right? If you were here last fall, we did an overview of the whole Old Testament, so maybe you remember some of this. But Solomon became king of Israel after his father David passed away, right? Right? And Solomon, God used Solomon to build this big and glorious temple. And if you remember, at the dedication of the temple, one of the things that God told to Solomon was, he said, hey, look at all this, and uh, as long as you obey me, it's going to remain in its glory. And it's going to be a wonderful place, and it's going to bless all of the known world. And people will look here to see what God's doing. But if you disobey me, watch out, this place will become a pile of ruins And people will uh, use your name as a byword, the people of Israel as a byword, to be like, in other words, a swear word of, man, why did God do that to them? They'll be like, what did they do that God did that? And so basically what God was telling Solomon, just like he had told Moses and many others before him, if you choose to obey, it's going to go really well. Choose to obey, choose blessing. But if you choose to sin and disobey and go against my words, you're choosing to suffer. Well, uh, Solomon, for part of his time, he was, he, was, he was the wisest man other than Jesus ever to live. So he did really well leading. But uh, he chose to sin. He, he, his eyes wandered after foreign women who ended up drawing his heart to foreign gods. Uh, about a thousand of them altogether. And so what happens is after Solomon dies, then his kingdom, which was, became as grand as it's ever been in history, the kingdom of Israel under Solomon, was divided Into two, And 10 of the 12 tribes became what's known as Israel to the north. And two of them, the southern tribes of Judah and Benjamin, became the the nation of Judah. Well, uh, God continues then during this time. He begins sending prophets, telling people, hey, if you continue in your sin, you're going to continue to suffer. But if you would choose to obey me, I'll bring blessing. But if you continue to sin, here's what's going to happen. I'm actually going to take you out of this land and put you into exile. And God had warned of this centuries before through Moses, actually, that this is probably what would happen. I think he declared, actually, this is what would happen. That they're going to disobey, and I'm going to pull them out, but I'll bring them back. Well, the people sin, and in 722 BC, that northern section of of tribes of Israel, the ten tribes to the north, were conquered by the Assyrians, the southern, they had 19 kings and all of them were evil. The, the southern two tribes had 19 uh, kings and a queen, but eight of them were actually good. They were actually good. So God delayed his judgment because every now and then they'd choose to obey and then they'd choose to sin and go right back, right? So starting in 605, uh, exile began for the southern kingdom. Are you with me so far? You tracking with me? And so these southern two tribes begin exile. And what happens? In 605, a strong king by the name of Nebuchadnezzar takes over Babylon. and he actually conquers Assyria. And so now instead of Assyria coming in to conquer them, uh, Babylon will, modern-day Iraq, comes in. And in 605, he takes away some of the the leaders and uh, the main leaders and, and priests and rulers of Israel. A guy you might know by the name of Daniel was taken into exile in 605. And there was a guy, a king at the time was Jehoiakim. Well, Jehoiakim dies eight years later, and his son Jeconiah becomes king. Jeconiah becomes king at the the age of 18 years old. And in all of his wealth of wisdom at 18 years, he reigns for three months. (laughs) Three months. And then Nebuchadnezzar's had enough. He comes in and takes Jehoiakim and his mother and another wave of exiles back to Babylon in 597 BC. And in fact, that's where our text takes place. Look at verse 2. See, uh, he, Jeremiah had written a letter to the exiles and he says in verse two, this was after King Jeconiah, so 18 year old king who reigned for three months and the queen mother, his mom, the eunuchs, the officials of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen, the metal workers, had departed from Jerusalem. That's a kind way of saying Nebuchadnezzar took them into exile. This was after uh, King Nebi had conquered them and taken them away. So sometime between, and then in 586, Thirteen years later is when the full exile happens. So sometime in between here is when Jeremiah is writing, probably close to 586. And he says, this letter was sent by the hand of Elasa, Elasa, I'm not sure how to say his name, the son of Shaphan and Gemariah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, lots of Ayahs, whom Zedekiah, the king of Judah, sent to Babylon, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. Zedekiah was the guy that Nebuchadnezzar put in Jeconiah's place after he conquered him. And Zedekiah sends this letter that Jeremiah wrote to to the people uh, in Babylon. And here's what it said. Look at verse 4. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Does anything stand out to you in that phrase? It it said, uh, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. You know what stands out to me? That that God says, uh, see, you think it was Nebuchadnezzar who came and conquered you and took you away? Actually, it was I who sent you there. To the exiles that I've sent into exile. God sent them. And uh, in 1 Peter, uh, Peter writes, he says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to those who are elect exiles. And later in chapter 2 of 1 Peter, he calls us to live as sojourners and exiles. And what I see here in God sending them and also God sending us is that we are called to live as exiles, That's number one. We're called to live as exiles, as strangers in a strange land, people who who live away from their native country, either by choice or by compulsion, or in this case, by being sent by God. Did you know in the book of Acts, chapter 17, verse 26, I believe, somebody can call me on that if I've got that wrong, but I think it's chapter 17, verse 26, that that it says that uh, the Lord has determined the time and places that every, every person has ever lived. That's my paraphrase. In other words, he's determined... That you were born in whatever year you were born, for me in 1978, and that I would live for a time in Iowa, and for a time in Chicago, and for a time in Indiana. And He's determined that ahead of time where I would dwell and where I would live. Another way of saying this is He has sent me into the world. Now, by God's grace, when I was in high school, I became a Christian. I I turned from my sin and became a follower of Jesus. That's what it means to be a Christian, not just come to church, but to repent of your sin and follow Christ. And so he called me out of the world, but he's he's left me in it. And he sent me. I believe that with my whole heart. He has sent me to those specific places I've lived, to the specific neighbors that I have, to the specific people I rub shoulders with. He sent me there. Do you believe that? Now, it's, but here's the deal I'm sent as an exile, just like in Jeremiah chapter 29, he sent the exiles into Babylon, he sent them into exile. He sent them there. It says it right there. Uh, See, this is not our home. Philippians chapter 3 verse 20 says our citizenship is where if you're a follower of Jesus? Where is it? Help me out. In heaven. Your citizenship is in heaven. You're a resident alien of this place. You're an alien because this isn't home. You're a resident because this is where you live. But guess what? This, this, This ain't home. I want to get a sign like this to hang at our house, I think. I'm going to talk to Hannah. Home sweet, not home. (laughs) Wouldn't that be a good reminder, though? This is home sweet, not home, friends. This is not home. It's not your home. You're an exile. In fact, you've been sent as an exile to this place. Now, if we're sent as exiles, I wonder, is there anywhere in the Bible that tells exiles how to live? Well, the right answer is all of it, but uh, specifically, look at verse twenty, chapter twenty-nine of Jeremiah. Here, look at verse five. Look at what God tells these exiles, His people. He says in verse five, "Build houses and live in them." Does that seem strange? They were just conquered by a foreign king, and now God says, "Hey, while you're there, um, bolster the local economy." Build some homes, put down roots, and make that home. Build houses and live in them. Make that home. In fact, plant gardens and eat their produce. Get involved in, in agriculture. Um be involved in that place. Settle down. Plant gardens to both sustain you and maybe even to make a little money. To have some food and to have some cash. Get involved in the economy. Does that sound strange to you? It sounds kind of odd, doesn't it? He's, he's replanting them in a new place. And he says, and it's, by the way, it's, it's punishment for their sin that they're there. And he says, while you're there, build a house, live in it, plant gardens, eat of it. Make a living is basically what God is saying. Uh, take, go about living and enjoying your life is what God is telling them. Do you know in First Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, it tells us that uh, we should not set our hopes on God, or excuse me, we should not set our hopes on, we should, that's a, that's a good time to storm the stage. We should not set our hopes on the things of this world, but on God, right? Not to set our hopes on riches and on money, but on God who gives us all of those things, who gives us our wealth, who gives us our goods for us to enjoy. He gives us, in fact, he tells Timothy, Paul does all things to enjoy. They're sent into exile. They're to build houses, plant gardens, and uh, enjoy it. In fact, look at this. Their vision is to be generational. They're to take wives and to have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there, do not decrease. Multiply there, do not decrease. See, this is, I believe, uh, just like this was God's design for them in exile, to go to that place, to to think long-term, to build houses, plant gardens, to build families, to multiply there, not to decrease, but to multiply. I think that's his plan for a post-Christian culture too that we live in. I hate to break it to you, but we live in a post-Christian culture, and we have for probably a, a solid decade or two. There's outposts that are still kind of Christian, Christendom, uh, especially in areas where we live. But the reality is you go into the city, and uh, you go into other places in our world, and it is, it is no longer Christendom. Uh, there's no benefit anymore to being part of the church. Uh, you're, a, you're, you're really a stranger now in a strange land. And it's going to increase here. It will. I, I, I promise you it will. It, already, it has over the last five to ten years. Would you agree? It has. But guess what? As things get darker, your light shines brighter. And maybe, that, maybe God is allowing this to waken us up to the fact that this ain't home. And so we're to live as exiles here. And here's the second piece. We're to live as exiles here who bless the world as exiles, were to bless the world. See, God tells the people in exile in Babylon uh, through Jeremiah, he says, uh, build a house, build a business, plant a garden, do all these things, build your family, uh, marry, have children, multiply, many kids, by God's grace, right? Make sure there's more of you that leave than, than showed up. And, uh, and do, do all these things. And, and by the way, while you're there, Look at verse 7. He says, uh, do whatever you can to take down Nebuchadnezzar. Is that what he says? Fight the culture like crazy. Go nuts. Is that what he says? No, look what he says. He says, no, but, but actually seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you. Again, where I've sent you. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. Now, do you know uh, how wicked the Assyrians and the Babylonians were? I mean, it's off the charts. One of the kings of Assyria, Sennacherib, before Nebuchadnezzar Nebuchadnezzar conquered uh, the Assyrians, um, I mean, they would would literally skin their enemies alive and hang them on the wall outside the city to say, don't mess with us. Um, They would surround cities and besiege them and uh, starve them out. They were incredibly wicked. I'll spare you other details. And yet, look what God says. He says, Hey, seek the welfare of that place. Seek the welfare of Babylon. What? Are you, oh, come on. That can't be what he's, really? And, and he says, By the way, and also, and pray to the Lord on its behalf. And, and you're telling me I have to pray for them? You know, Jesus picks up this theme later, doesn't he, when he says, I tell you not to hate your enemy, but to, to love them, to pray for them. Um, and look at, look at why. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. If things go well for the city in which I sent you into exile, things will go well for you. As you bless that place, you'll be blessed. You see this in Abraham, right? We're going to look at Abraham next week and how his life and his family was to be a blessing to the nations. And I think this is is really at the core of what it means to live in the world, but not of it. Don't become like the Babylonians. You're not of the world, but you do live among them. So bless them, love them, care for them, pray for them. Serve the city to which I've sent you. Serve the community to which I've placed you. For Babylon's good, not its demise. See, his exiles were to bless the world. Were to bless it. I had to think about this. Like, where does this apply for me this week, you know? Maybe you'd think, maybe you'd ask yourself some of these questions like, who are the, um, who are the most wicked people I know? Maybe you can think in terms of who I can think of in the world, but then also who I, who I physically, personally know. Who are are those people? God says I should bless them. I don't want to. (laughs) I don't want to. Yeah, but but you should. And in fact, you should pray for them. And in the welfare of your city and your community, if you seek its welfare, there's your welfare as well. But, but hold on, Josh. Why would I do that? Why would I seek the welfare of a place here when this isn't home? This isn't home. I, I'm, I, thought, I thought Jesus was going to take me away. I'm getting out of this place, man. I'm blowing this popsicle stand. I'm not staying here forever. In, in fact, there's there's three responses oftentimes that Christians have towards culture. There's um, three and what I mean by this is three right responses. In the video this week, you're going to see three others that have been typical responses of Christians, of like fortification and domination and all that sort of stuff. But I'm talking how do we engage with culture in this place we are. Then we're going to talk about a little bit more of why. Uh, the, the three responses to culture, we've talked about these before, but I think there's three. You can either uh, reject, receive, or redeem. Reject, receive, or redeem. And it's, it's important as exiles living in a in a strange land, to engage our culture with wisdom. If we're going to do what Jeremiah says here in verse 7, seek the welfare of the, the place where God has sent us, the city, the community, the culture, then I've got to know how to engage with that culture, don't I? Would you agree? Like in my workplace, in my neighborhood, in my school, what, what does that look like? And so there's, I think there's three things, three responses that are, that are all three right in different times. Uh, sometimes we can receive it. Uh, there are certain things in culture that we can just simply receive. There's nothing uh, evil or immoral about it. It's amoral. You can simply receive it. Um, like your, your paycheck for a hard day's work. You can simply receive it. it it's a good thing. There's, uh, technology is a great example. Do you know there's no such thing as a Christian computer? There's no such thing as a Christian iPad no such thing. It's amoral. Um, now, it can be used for good or bad. There's no such thing as Christian money, Christian cars, or Christian, uh, this might mess with somebody a little bit. There's not even Christian styles of music. There's lyrics, but there's not styles of music. Um, there's some things we can simply receive, right? That's, that's number one. There's other things, though, that we have to reject, there are certain things that we absolutely have to reject. There's things in our culture that are sinful. They're not beneficial. One example is pornography. We absolutely have to reject that. There's no redeeming value in it. And it must be rejected by Christians. Abortion is another example. There's no redeeming value in it. It must be rejected. There are things we absolutely have to reject, right? But now there's this third category where I think honestly... Um, there's maybe the biggest section of stuff and it takes the most discernment. And as we get further into this series, we'll talk about wisdom and it'll help us with this, but we can redeem it. There's things in culture that are not bad in and of themselves, but can be used in a sinful manner and therefore need to be redeemed by God's people. Social media is another great example of this, right? Right? There's no innate good or bad among it, but, um, but when it's used by God's people, hopefully it's used in a redeeming way. I've kind of, I've, I've, I've forced myself to just not be on social media too much simply because for me, it gets my mind thinking about uh, comparing myself to other people and uh, desiring things I don't have that I wish I had or who I wish I was. Or on, on Twitter, I tend to just mouth off about Iowa State and the Cubs when they do bad and that's not healthy and um, so I just I'm on there a little bit but just not much anymore and for me personally it's been a hard thing for me to redeem so I just said you know what I just need to set that aside until I'm mature enough I guess to be able to redeem some of those things but what is it for you I I think it takes discernment to know what is it that we redeem then that we use in a way that honors the Lord but But our main idea here this morning again is that we're sent as exiles into the world to bless the world. And did you notice that um, our mission statement actually kind of captures this truth? Have you noticed that? Who can say our mission statement? Anybody know it? We are what? There we go. Sent to do what? Love people. Wow. And then what? What? Invite them, so that means not, not force them, not drag them, not put them in a headlock and give them a noogie and drag them. Invite them to do what? To follow Jesus with us. We are sent to love people and invite them to follow Jesus with us. Does that sound a lot like Jeremiah chapter 29, verse seven? I think it does. Uh, seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you. Love the place I've sent you to and the people that are there. And uh, involved with that is inviting them to follow the Lord. But you know what? Not everybody's going to. And so even if they don't, we're still called to love them, aren't we? And to seek their good. That's our mission. That's our mission as a church. We're sent to love people, to live as exiles in this world. And notice, too, it says that while we're there, uh, backing up just a little bit and uh, Talk about this for just a minute. He says that we should multiply there and not decrease, verse six. We're to multiply there. So as God's people in his church, guess what we're supposed to do? In our families, in our church as a whole, we're to multiply. We're to grow. Growing things change. That means as we grow, as we're obedient to this, guess what's gonna happen, friends? Our church will change in some ways. The makeup of the people here, the makeup of the programming, maybe the music, uh, maybe what it looks like, maybe the number of services, by God's grace, wouldn't that be great? If like so many people are worshiping here that we have to add more services? And and we need to be ready for those things and and adaptable to those things that we could grow. Now, not to grow just to grow, but to grow to, to see more people following Jesus Christ, I'm, listen, I'll, I'll be honest with you. There, there's a part of me, if I'm honest, that resists that change and goes, I don't, I don't know if I want our church to grow and be really big. Or, and I don't know if it will or not. We have no idea. But what if God does? <laughs> am I ready for that? And am I serving and loving people and caring for them in that way? How cool would it be as if we grow and we start planting more churches so that there's more of God's kingdom in this place of exile? I just gotta tell you, that's my heart. I would love to see that happen over the next five to 10 years, that we're growing and that we're sending people out and planting more churches. Wouldn't that be cool? Nobody else with me? Wouldn't that be cool? Yeah, it'd be incredible. But you need to know that might mean things will change. Are you okay with that? Because we're to multiply, not decrease, Now, here's the thing. I want you to see, we'll wrap up these last two points quickly and this will be covered in the video in your 110 group this week. Uh, Number three, God is working a greater plan or economy of all things to bless all of creation. God has this this plan in place to bless all of creation. And it shows up in Ephesians chapter 1. I'm going to read from starting in verse 7, but I think uh, starting in verse 9 will pop up on the screen. Paul says, in him, in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of of Jesus' grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. He says, and in this grace, he's making known to us the mystery of his will. In other words, his plan according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. As a plan, look at that in verse 10, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and on earth. God has a greater plan, a greater economy uh, to, to, to unite all things in himself to bless the world. That's what he's saying. That word plan in the Greek, it's a fun word to say. You wanna hear it? Say it with me oikonomia. Isn't that kind of fun? Say it with me. Oikonomia. Do you know what it means? It means the management of a household or stewardship. Uh, it, it also, if you look it up in the Greek lexicon, it'll say see economy. And an economy is just uh, rightly stewarding uh, what's yours, careful management of your available resources. And God has a plan. He's stewarding all these things. He's Uh, Working this economy out for the good of the world and for his glory. And we're a part of that. And we're to steward our lives towards that end. Uh, Now be careful. Uh, Look at verses eight and nine of our text. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel Don't let your prophets and your diviners, diviners who are among you, deceive you. And don't listen to the dreams they dream. Uh, For it's a lie that they're prophesying to you in my name. I didn't send them, declares the Lord. Here's what Jeremiah is talking about there, just really briefly. There was a couple other guys who showed up in Babylon and started saying, you know what? Hey, this is going to be short-lived. We're only going to be here for a short time, and then we're going home. Like just, so don't put down roots. Uh, just, just fight the good fight. In other words, fight Nebi, and, and we're going to get out of here, man. We're, there's no way we're staying here. God's going to rescue us, like, like soon. Like, it's coming in, a, like in days, I, I promise. And uh, there's a whole letter, uh, you can read the rest of it in chapter 29. Jeremiah goes back and forth with these guys. And Long story short, he tells them, he says, listen, guys, don't pay attention to those uh, prophets, the Lord says, because here's what the Lord says. Look at verse 10. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you. You're going to be in exile for 70 years. That's how long you're going to be there. And then I will fulfill my promise fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. But guess when that future and hope is? It's not uh, right here. It's actually when he brings them back after 70 years. Now, did you know that Psalm chapter 90, Psalm 90 verse 10, the psalmist writes this. He says, the years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength, 80. For some live to 80. Yet their span is all full of toil and trouble. They're soon gone and we fly away. Do you find any, any, anything curious there that God sends his people into exile for 70 years for a generation and then it's, it's true that, that our lifespan as an average is about 70 to 80 years. 70 to 80 years in exile, and then God has a plan. He has a future and a hope for you to bring you out of this mess, but you're, it's not a short-term thing. You need to look at it long-term, and are you living a life that's blessing the world as part of God's greater plan, greater economy to bless the world, that you'll, you'll multiply and not decrease yourself and your influence See our fourth point really kind of goes with that third one. Then we are sent to work in smaller economies that point back to to God's blessing. That, that we're going to unpack this now over the next six weeks. But all of your life then is meant to be part and needs to be seen as part of God's economy in this world while you're in exile. And you're here to bless the world for the life of the world. That's what your salvation's for. Not just for you to get a get out of hell free card and go be with Him forever. That's part of it, right? You get redeemed, you get saved. But He's left you here for a purpose. And it's to, to love other people and to invite them to follow Jesus with you and to be a light for the good and for the life of the world in your home and in your family, in your workplace. It shines a light for the glory of Jesus Christ in this world. And it makes this world a better place. And when, this, when the welfare of our city is improved, our welfare is improved. So you're left with a choice here over these next few weeks. And you need to know your time is limited. About 70 years. That means uh, I'm, I'm, I'll turn 40 this spring. My life's probably half over, if not Closer to two-thirds over. I don't have 70 years left. Am I investing it? My dad died when he was 58. If that's true for me, I've got 18 years. Am I investing it for the glory of God? Or am I just gonna be a passive participant who stands on the sidelines saying, just get me out of here? The truth of the matter is I've been sent to love people and invite them to follow Jesus with me, to bless the world. And that's the call of our church, to live as exiles, not of the world, but recognizing we're in it and we're here to make it a better place, even for those who never trust Jesus. Amen? So I'm gonna pray. We're gonna take communion. Here's here's what's gonna happen. We're gonna pass our offering. And right after that, the elements of communion. If you're a guest with us, uh, we don't ask you to give anything. We've got a gift for you at the Connect Desk when you leave. Um, but just stay seated. Hold on to the, if you take communion with us, um, if you're a follower of Jesus, that's great. If you don't know Jesus, um, we'd ask you not to take communion. But if you've trusted him, you're a Christian, you're, you're welcome to join us. Um, but as that's passed, hold on to that, and we'll take communion together. We'll sing, and we'll call it a morning. Let me pray. Father, thank you for Jesus and for your grace to us. And uh, Lord, thanks that you've sent us here. Um, Lord, you have sent us for a short time to live as exiles, but eternity will be with you forever. Yet while we're here, you have purpose for us. You have purpose for us here. Uh, Help us to see that and to live it out, to to love people, to, to... maybe it starts with just memorizing that mission statement of our church, of recognizing that I've been sent to the places where I work, to the family that you've given us, to uh, the neighborhood we live in. You, you've sent us to those places. And you sent us there, uh, just like you sent the people into exile to, to love the people there. That our salvation is, is for their good as well. Help us to do that, to live on purpose, and might uh, that result in many, many more, Jesus, I believe it would if we would do this, in many more coming to faith in you and knowing you and loving you. So we love you, we give you our gifts now, just as you've given gifts to us, and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.